Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we come before your throne of grace today as people who've been called to a different kind of life. A life that Jesus said um, would not be very welcome or well-received in this world. That as they hated him, they could potentially hate us as well. But Lord, we're pursuing after and chasing after the life of Jesus. So our prayer today is to give us the grace day by day to be more like him. Your word tells us to not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but to be changed by the renewing of your mind. So Lord, today, through worship, through our time around the elements and the Lord's Supper, through the hearing and proclaiming of God's word, I pray, Father, that you would change our minds, change our direction, change our scope, change us, and put our feet on the path they need to go that leads to Jesus. This is our prayer, and we ask it in the name of Jesus alone. Amen. So several years ago, I heard the story about a mother who was looking out her kitchen window into the backyard, and she saw her little boy playing with the family cat. And he wasn't just playing with the cat, he was playing church with the family cat. He was preaching to the cat, he was reading scripture to the cat, he even got on his knees beside the cat and folded the cat's paws up, and he started praying with the cat. And the mother thought, how precious of a sight is this? Well, it was a few moments later that she heard this terrible screeching noise outside, and she looks out the window and she sees that her son has the cat in a bucket of water. So she runs outside and says, honey, what are you doing? He says, I'm baptizing the cat. And she says, cats don't like to be put in water. He says, well, she should have thought about that before she joined my church. Now, I tell you that this morning because there are some commitments and there are some expectations if you are going to be part of a church. Because to commit to a church is to commit to the mission of that church. And here at Batcher Creek, we have a mission. Our mission is very simple, to make and grow disciples of Jesus. And guess what? It's non-negotiable. Because that mission comes straight from Jesus himself. He said in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So if that is our mission, then there are some commitments that we make as a church. One commitment is this is that we will make more room so we can make more followers of Jesus. There's been some criticism that's come my way before. It's not happened a lot of times, but it's happened a few times enough for me to notice. Someone will say, Solomon, all you and the church care about are numbers. And you know what? I'll take that criticism. Do you know why? Because every number is a person. And every person is a soul, and every soul has a destination. Think of it this way. If you were on a field trip with a bunch of kids, and you were in the woods, and some of them got lost, and you were able to find some of them, but some of them were still lost, and you hear the leader say, okay, everybody, let's get back on the bus, 
And you said, wait, 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 wait a minute. We don't have all the kids found yet. And he said to you, what's wrong with you? All you care about are numbers. You would have a problem with that, would you not? In the same way, our Heavenly Father is concerned, deeply concerned, about his children who are still far from home. So we will never apologize for being a place that we want and we welcome people to come in so that they can find Jesus. We'll never apologize for that. So we'll make room for more followers of Jesus in this place. A second commitment we have is, is that we want to make clear for everybody what it means to grow in Christ. See, Jesus said that you make disciples twofold. You baptize, but baptism is not the end. Baptism is the beginning. It's the portal through which we start this destination. Jesus also said, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And so what we've been looking at is that second part. What does living the life after Christ look like? Because that's the goal. We want people looking like, acting like, talking like, living like, loving like, giving like, serving like Jesus. Because when Jesus gave the invitation to come follow me, he did not mean like me. He meant live like me. And so that's why we've been looking at this through this series called Fellowship. What you're hearing through this series of messages, you are hearing the strategy that we have as a church to get people to increasingly look more and more like Jesus because that is the goal of the Christian life. And in order to look more like Jesus, we've got to know what did Jesus look like? What did he do? What did he prioritize? What were his commitments and his habits? And so we saw a few weeks ago that Jesus made it a commitment in his life to worship regularly. That Jesus prioritized getting together with the people of God in a place of worship so that God could get the praise that was due unto him. So because Jesus worshiped regularly, we said the followers of Jesus, you and I, should worship regularly. Then last week, we looked at something else in Jesus' life. How Jesus connected with God regularly. That Jesus knew the word of God. He taught the word of God. He expounded on the word of God. He explained the word of God. He used the word of God in times of temptation to say, it is written. And the reason why he could do all these things, because he was a a student of the word. He absorbed the word. He soaked in the word. In fact, so much that he is called the living word. That's who Jesus is. And we saw as well that he didn't just connect with the Father through the Word. He connected with God through prayer. That at every major marker in Jesus' life, we find him praying. At his baptism, he's praying. At the selection of the disciples, he's praying. At the transfiguration, he's praying. Early in the morning, praying. Late at night, praying. Good times, praying. Hard times, praying. Before the cross, praying. On the cross, praying. And because we saw this pattern So significantly in the life of Jesus, we issued a challenge last week that for the church-wide, all of us, through the month of October, we would make our way through the book of Matthew, 28 chapters in 31 days. We started last Tuesday, so if you didn't get on that, there's still time to catch up. We're on chapter 6 today in Matthew. We've got reading plans on the Bible app, so 
please join us in that journey. Because we want to look more like Jesus. And Jesus was in the Word, and he was on his knees on a regular basis. Today, we are going to learn how followers of Jesus do life together. Or to put it another way, following must be relational. Following Jesus is a team sport. It is a communal pursuit. So fellowship demands fellowship. It's not just believing in Jesus, but it's belonging to the movement that Jesus started. So I want you to understand, the mission of Jesus was so much bigger than to just save individual people. The mission of Jesus, just as much, was to create a new society, to create a church, what he calls the body, to create this community of salt and light who would live in a very dark and lost world. So doing life after Jesus means doing life with other people who are following Jesus. And this is so critical because we don't just see this in the life of Jesus' followers. We don't just see his followers living in community. We see Jesus himself living in community. Here's why. We know that Jesus was fully God and fully human at the same time. Being fully human means this. It's the same truth for you and I as it was for Jesus. That we are incurably relational beings. It's like the story that a father submitted to Reader's Digest years ago. Where he was home one night with his son. And his little boy came up and said, Dad, where's mom? He said, well, mom's at a Tupperware party. Well, what is a Tupperware party, Dad? Well, son, a Tupperware party is where a bunch of women get together in a room and they sell plastic bowls to one another. And that little boy laughed as well, and he's like, okay, Dad, really, what, what is it? Because it can't be that, right? And that was the genius behind the Tupperware movement, right? Not so much the product, it was the strategy, like it is with all these other home-based sales. It's the power of gathering. Because human beings, you and I, we are incurably relational. You know where I can prove that? The very first chapter of the Bible, God says, let us make man in what? In our image. Out of the beauty and the wonder and the delight and the love that existed between Father, Son, Holy Spirit, out of that relationship, mankind was birthed. And because we are made in the image of a relating, community-based God, we have been made to desire, to crave, to hunger for relationship with other people as well. And here's my contention. I don't have a lot of facts or figures behind this. I've got some data, but it's mostly my gut as I watch our culture. My contention is that with the breakdown of relationships that we see across our land, the fact that we are less and less connected, 
We are more digitally connected and more wired connected and more media connected probably than any other generation. But I feel like that really human to human, person to person, flesh to flesh person, we are probably the most disconnected generation ever. And I think maybe, my gut tells me that maybe that's the reason or contributes to the reason why we are the most in debt and obese and most medicated and most addicted culture in the history of the world. Because we are the most lonely culture in the history of the world and we're looking for something or somewhere or someone to fill that void that human beings are meant to fill in one another. It's why I think that this lack of connection is why I believe that our kids are increasingly taking their own lives at increasingly younger ages, folks. Because the power of connection that when a child is ostracized and bullied and kept out of social gatherings, social circles, when they feel that disconnect, the human heart does not know how to give on, go on living in a state of loneliness. So people feel like there's nothing worth living for. Nobody gets me. Nobody understands me. I'm not important to anyone. I don't matter. So I'm just going to end it right now. You know why people do that? Because as human beings, we are incurably relational. So that's why when you read the Gospels, the vast majority of the narratives about Jesus are Jesus with other people. Did he have his alone time? Yeah, we saw that last week, that he had to get away and recharge. But he didn't get away to escape. He got away to recharge so that he could be with people some more. He wasn't a loner. Jesus was, in fact, unfairly labeled a partier. Because wherever you found people having a great time, who would you find in the midst of that great time? You would find Jesus. So Jesus, listen to me, he genuinely liked people who were nothing like him. And if we want to be like Jesus, we have to like like Jesus liked. That's a lot of likes to take in, isn't it? Jesus genuinely liked people who were nothing like him. And if we want to be like Jesus, we've got to like like Jesus liked. And that is not easy. Somebody gave me a stack of books recently that they didn't need anymore. And I found one of them kind of interesting as it's going through this stack. And I found this study here for Christian groups. And it's called How to Love Someone You Can't Stand. <laughs> And this is written for Christians, right? This is for in the church. Some of you are like, Solomon, I'd like to borrow that after service if you don't mind, right? How many of you ever found yourself in a state of life where you needed a book like this? You're like, I could use some direction from that, right? Jesus did life together, folks. And his walk backed up his talk. And Jesus said this, he said, there's two trajectories your life should be shooting for. There's two major points that you need to be aiming at every day in your life. Number one is this, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as what? Yourself. And here's what he said. The way you love God 
is determined by the way you what? Love your neighbor. And it's hard. Thus, books like this. It gets really dicey in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus lays out this standard in Matthew chapter 5. Here's what he says. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. Because he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. In other words, God doesn't discriminate on who he loves and who he sends good things to. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, people who look like you and vote like you and talk like you and dress like you and believe like you, if you've got your own circle, you're like, yeah, we're, we're, that's, my, that's my gang, that's my squad. If you only greet your squad, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Here's what Jesus knows, and you know it and I know it. Doing life with other people, very messy, very complicated. You know why? Because people are very messy and very complicated. And when you intersect your life with somebody else, whether it's outside the church or even inside the church, there's going to be conflict. There's going to be misunderstandings, there's going to be differing opinions, and there's going to be difficult personalities that you somehow have to navigate. And here's what I believe. One reason that real, true, God-honoring community is missing in so many churches today is because we do life more based on our preferences more than our promises. Let me share with you what I mean by that. My heart breaks as I look at the landscape of our country in this coming year. Because you know what this coming year holds for our country? What is it? It's an election season. Man, we're kind of on the same wavelength this morning, aren't we? And here's what I know is going to happen on during election season. I know that there are people who will get on social media, and social media will be a battleground. It will be, become a bloodbath of thoughts and words and ugly comments, and you will see friendships, even Christian friendships, dissolve right before your eyes with the war of words. But, should not our commitment to Christ and his mission, should that not transcend what we do not like about one another's politics? 
I know everybody in here has an opinion. I've got an opinion. And I believe that Christians, the people of God, should be involved in the electoral process. But hear me out, folks. Even though we've got opinions, greater than my opinion about politics should be my level of commitment and love to Jesus and to one another. More than my view about health care and taxes and immigration. My loyalty to that kingdom has to transcend and be first above my loyalty to any kind of political party. Do you agree? And I think this is one reason why the church of Jesus in America is so shallow. Because we gather on the basis of what we like. Why do you go to that church? Well, I like the preaching, or I like the worship, or I like the programming, or I like the people there. Because you know what? The people are just like me. They all think like me and talk like me, and they believe the exact same things I do. I have a question for you, though. What happens when the preacher moves, when the worship changes, when the program stops, when the church starts attracting other people who aren't anything at all like you think or how you vote or how you act or the things that you do? Then what? Because here's what I feel that that does. When we base everything on what I like and what I prefer more than what I promise, all we do is contribute to this growing trend of Christian consumerism where you've got pastors running haywire, pulling out their hair, trying to figure out what they can do to create a church that everybody likes so that people don't start going to the church down the street. And you know what gets sacrificed in that? Community. Real community that we can worship with one another regardless of our differences that I'm committed to you and you're committed to me because of a promise we made. And I'm going to say something that many of you who are married can agree with. So if you're newly married or not married yet, I apologize for this, but it's true, okay? My wife and I have been married for what will be 25 years this year. And I love my wife. But I got to be honest with you. Some days I don't like her. And she would tell you the exact same thing about me. In fact, there's probably more days she doesn't like me than days that I don't like her. But we did not commit to one another based upon what we like. We have stayed committed to one another because we made promises to one another and before God that regardless of what comes our way, the day will find us together no matter what the day brings. That's what I'm talking about, folks. That's community in the church. That's what Jesus envisioned. That his people would be one. Regardless of likes and tastes and preferences and personalities, that we can work through these things. I want you to listen to what characterized the early church. See if you see personal preferences in this. 
They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, being there with and for one another, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Listen to this. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Did you catch anything there? They didn't gather based upon their personal preferences and what they individually liked. They gathered because of what they corporately loved, namely Jesus and one another. And Christ said that our love for one another is the hallmark the one distinguishing factor that will separate his disciples from the rest of the world. Do you remember when Jesus said that? By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you what? Love one another. Isn't it interesting that Jesus didn't say, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have correct doctrine. And correct doctrine is very, very important. It's very, very crucial. But you know what? The world doesn't recognize correct doctrine if they hear it or not. The world will know that you are my disciples if you live moral, pure, holy lives. Didn't say that. Because our world, let's be frank, we don't even have a standard for morality or purity or holiness, right? But Jesus said there's one thing you can leverage that the world will always get. You leverage love. Because love is always recognizable by the world. There's a story that ESPN showed a few years ago. It's a love story. It's a community story. And rather than telling you about it, I want you to see it and hear it with your own eyes. There's so much in life we can't choose. Our families, our names, our challenges. One thing we can choose is our friends. And sometimes they're the greatest choices we make. Someone is there for you no matter what. It's all from the heart when it's a special bond. It's just somebody that always accepts you and knows you and gets you no matter what you do, and uh, they'll always you know, be by your side. When you're the quarterback at Alabama with championship rings and NFL dreams, the entire state wants to be your friend. That's A.J. McCarron. That's not A.J. Starr. When I was born, the umbilical cord got caught around my neck, and it sort of cut off some of the oxygen to my brain. And so I kind of received brain damage 
I don't really look at cerebral palsy as something like to be down, but I'll just keep going. Raised in Center, Alabama, Starr used sports as a way to belong. But by the time he entered high school, his mind worked much faster than his body. I wanted to compete, you know. I wanted to be out there, but due to cerebral palsy, I couldn't do that. Starr became a fan instead of one school and one team, the Crimson Tide. He enrolled in Tuscaloosa in the summer of 2012 and would watch practice through a gap in the fence. It was his only way to connect in a place he found unfamiliar and unfriendly. I thought I would be able to just start fresh, you know, maybe my difference wouldn't matter, but no, it's hard to make friends when you're different. The week before Alabama's 2012 season opener, the quarterback and the fan met by chance at a campus bus stop. I saw the two buses pull off and leave him, so I just hopped in the car and um, pulled out and pulled over by him. I just heard someone like scream like, Hey, you need a ride? I get closer and closer. I'm like, that's AJ McCarrick. He gets in, shut the door, and we start driving off, and I'm like, I'm AJ. Uh, you know, I play football here, and he's, uh, he said, I know. We were just talking about Alabama football at first. Then we sort of was talking about cerebral palsy. Then I told him, I asked him, can I be a part of the team in any way? He was such a good kid, and he just wanted to be around the game, learning more about him, and I felt like it was my duty to kind of do something for him. After speaking with the team's head of operations, days later, McCarran called Starr to tell him the news. Well, we got you a job. I said, you're not getting paid, though. I said, man, I don't want money. I just wanted to be a part of the team anyway. I said, well, great. So, so you're gonna work in the uh, equipment room? And he was just glowing. It's not a glamorous gig, but don't tell him that. In his second full season now, Star's responsibilities continue to grow. They've grown more because we can't get rid of them. <laughs> uh, he's there every day. You don't even notice that anything is, is different about him. Um, he's just one of the guys. Everybody calls him the real AJ and uh, messes with me, which, uh, you know, uh, he, he is, he definitely is the real AJ. I know a lot of guys love him and, and definitely love having him here. There are many things in life we can't choose, but they, the quarterback and the equipment manager, AJ, and AJ, they chose each other. He saved me out. I, I mean, I thought about just giving up because I couldn't make friends here. I couldn't be accepted. I felt like it was a message from above for us to be friends, and um, it's pretty cool that two AJs uh, definitely became friends in, in a way that it did. They're all my family here. I have the biggest and best family possible. I'm 
I'm probably the luckiest guy in the world right now. You know, I know that ESPN does not have it as their mission or objective to promote Christianity. But they just preached through a story, one of the first things ever said in Scripture by God, that it is not good for man to be alone. There is this universal longing in each and every one of us to be a part of a family, to feel connected, to know that at the end of the day, I matter somebody and Jesus said to his church us you go around the world and you do that you do people better than anyone ever has and as a result Jesus says they will know you're following me I want to give you a little bit more clarity this morning on what you can do to take a next step in this direction of doing life together. So I've asked Ryan Keim, our Next Steps minister, to come up. Ryan is in charge here at the church about creating these environments and opportunities for our church body to go from the large gathering, to go from pews, to go into circles. Because according to scripture, the pews are great, but it's not enough. We need to get connected with one another in smaller environments. And Ryan is here going to share with us how we can take another step in that direction. Yeah, so we actually have several, we have three different areas that we have, like, kind of for our groups. And the first one is, is on our Sunday mornings, like today, we offer Sunday morning groups during our 8 o'clock, our 9.15, and our 10.45 hours here at Bachelor Creek. And there's a variety of ages. Um, we even have men, a men's group that meets. And we have topical classes that come in and out um, that would be follow-ups to, like, sermon series messages and stuff like that. And it's all stuff that we're really trying to work on to help make things oppor make opportunities for you guys to get plugged into groups. Um, so that's our Sunday morning groups. That's what they look like. And they meet pretty much year-round, uh, except for the ones that we kind of pull in and out. Um, another area is actually our small groups. Our small groups pretty much meet weekly um, during the week. Um, and those kind of run along with the school year. So we're right in the middle of, of small groups running now. So if, if that's something that you're interested in, we'll have you sign up for that. And then lastly, it's kind of like the mentorship there. We're, that's something new that we're really starting to, that I'm hoping to get kicked off here soon. Um, and I did not know he was playing that video, so I really appreciate that. So, but the mentor, mentorship is something that we want to really partner with people that are new believers that are getting baptized. Um, and I don't know if you've noticed, but we actually have quite a few baptisms. Um, here at Bastard Creek. So everybody that gets baptized, we just don't want them to get stuck just being like baptized and thinking that's it. We want to partner with them and mentor with them through this mentorship program. And that would be one way of getting involved in a group and helping them get involved more um, when they're in deepening their relationship. So I have a couple of things, um, opportunities for you. First of all, um, if you actually have the Church Center app, um, you can actually pull up your phone. I just launched a new section of that this week. You can get on a Church Center app, and you can explore every Sunday morning group and every small group that we have that is accepting new members. So if you're wanting to get in a group, check that out. You can either do it on your, your smartphone or smart device, 
on the Church Center app, or you can actually go to our website, the Bachelor Creek website, and you can do it on there as well. Um, if, if you're interested and you don't have that access and you just want to list, there's one of these pieces of paper right outside here at the connecting point that's got all our open groups, Sunday morning groups and small groups. And then lastly, if you want to just sign up or sign on your connection card that you're interested in a group, you can do that as well, and we'll help you get plugged in with a group. So look for that and look for other information on training for leadership if you're interested in being a leader. That's kind of where we're at. We really, really need some new leaders. We got lots of groups that are out there that are full, and we got lots of people that want to be in groups yet. We just don't have group leaders. So if you're interested in being a leader, um, fill out your connection card. Let me know because we're going to start doing some training this winter to help train some of our leaders so that we can have more leaders and develop more leaders. So I look forward to helping you grow your groups. Thanks, Ryan. You know, let me just reemphasize what Ryan just said. We can have oodles of people who want to get in groups, but until we have leaders who are willing to say, I'll lead that, I'll host that, then they're just going to be waiting in the wings. And as somebody who's led groups, multiple groups in my life before, I can tell you this, it's not rocket science. All you need is a heart that cares for people, seeing people grow, and the ability to just be able to lead discussions with the questions already provided for you, okay? We have a great resource library here at Church of Studies that you can do as a group. We have an online subscription service called Right Now Media that can just stream right into your home and give you everything you need to have a successful group experience. But more than just the teaching that goes along with these groups, what we really want is for you to connect with one another. Because here's what statistics tell us, okay? Here's what all, all the polling shows us. That when it comes to choosing a church, do you know what criteria people use to choose a church? They choose the preaching. And then if they like the preaching, they're going to stay at a church. But do you know what makes them stay there long term? It's the relationships. Because over a while, the preaching just becomes kind of commonplace, expected. But it's the deep relationships that they form within the church that keeps them there. It's the glue that holds them at that church. And while I want you to get to know me, and I try to be transparent as I can sometimes about my life, my struggles, my walk, more important than getting to know me is you getting to know one another. And again, that cannot happen in a pew. It can only happen in a circle, all right? So we'd encourage you that as opportunities come available to see Ryan, sign up. For those of you who've been in a group for a long time, maybe now it's time for you to go out on faith and start leading, to start feeding instead of just being fed, all right? So I want to challenge you with that today. Now, if there's anybody here today uh, that if you've got a prayer need, there's a burden that you're carrying that you came in these doors with, and you just would love somebody to pray with you about that so that you can leave here feeling more at peace about something in your life, we would love to pray with you today. During our time of invitation, just join us in the back porch, and we'd love to help come alongside of you and relieve that today. And with that being said, won't you join me in a word of prayer? Father, thank you for the life of Jesus that we see through his habits and his commitments and the things that he was engaged in in life, Lord. We see the footsteps that we're to walk in. We see that he worshiped you regularly, that he connected with you regularly, Lord. We see that he did life with this little band of followers called his disciples. And he spent most of his ministry as a small group leader. And 
Lord, we're convinced that Jesus knows how to do life better than anyone else. So we want to put our feet in his footsteps so that we don't just say we like Jesus, but that we are living like Jesus. So help us, Lord, to that end. Make everything else in our life take second fiddle, take second place to the call of Jesus to come follow. Lord, thank you for your goodness and what we've heard today, how we've worshiped today. And we pray, Lord, that our lives will be pleasing in heaven. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.